Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. California cities and counties are trying guaranteed income programs, with Oakland and Marin becoming the latest places this week to launch programs that offer cash payments to residents every month, no strings attached. Compton launched its program a few months ago. But some economists remain skeptical of the idea. We look at California's guaranteed income test cases. Then, state water officials are sounding the alarm about water supplies and the lack of rain. We look at the worsening signs of drought. That's all next on Forum. Join us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff announced yesterday that the city is launching a guaranteed income program this spring for 600 residents, making it among the largest in the country. Shortly after Oakland's announcement, Marin County voted unanimously to launch its own pilot for 125 residents. They join a growing list of jurisdictions in California trying some version of a universal basic income, as an early study of Stockton's basic income experiment finds positive results. Joining me first to talk about these newest programs, Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Guy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us how Oakland's program will work. Right. So the program that was uh, unveiled in Oakland yesterday will focus on 600 families of color. They will get $500 a month uh, for 18 months. And really, in the vision of these guaranteed income programs, that money won't have any strings attached. So it's going to these residents and they can use it for whatever they see fit, however they need it uh, in their lives. Um, and basically, at this point, the funding is going to come from not from city sources. So they're relying on uh, money from foundations. It's Blue Meridian Partners is a philanthropic organization that's going to be the largest funder at this point. And they say that they've got nearly $7 million raised so far uh, for this program, which will take place starting potentially this spring and summer. 
um, and taking place over the next year and a half. Next year and a half. So who is eligible for this? So it'll go uh, kind of in two buckets, one for, for folks who are at or below 50% of area median income, which if you take a family of three is about $59,000 uh, a year. The other half of spots will be reserved for very low income families. So those earning um, below what's qualified as 138% of the federal poverty level. So again, for a family of three, that's about $30,000 a year. Um, and I think what's you know interesting about this program and as, as well as the one that's launching in Marin is there's really an explicit focus on residents of color, which is not has not always been the case for these uh, guaranteed income programs. Um, and I think that's something you heard from city officials speaking yesterday is really wanting to address not just the wealth gap that exists in the Bay Area, but specifically the racial wealth gap that exists in these communities. Hmm. And you mentioned Marin is doing something similar. So what are the contours of Marin County's program? So Marin County's uh, program is, a, I, I think, in a little bit of an earlier stage uh, than Oakland's. Right now, they're working with the Marin Community Foundation, who's really going to be the, the nonprofit behind the program. Um, and that one has an even more specific focus. So it's on uh, women of color who have kids under 18 years uh, of age. And so they'll be getting $1,000 a month for two years. It's really focused on uh, just 125 women. Um, but that'll be funded through the foundation. And then with the count, how the county is getting involved is they're basically putting forth $400,000 to offer wraparound services. So job training, job placement, um, which again is kind of a new feature for some of these guaranteed income programs in the past haven't come with these services. Um, it's, you know, supporters say this is another opportunity to add on to the research to see, okay, what if you pair these direct checks with optional services how, do that, how does that affect the residents who participate in the program? Um, so the, the uh, folks designing the, the program in Marin say that they're kind of at the design stage, um, and, but you might expect something later this year. Interesting. And you mentioned the Marin Community Foundation. So that means that this as well is privately funded. That's right. The county is only really picking up the tab for those optional wraparound services, but the direct payments are not going to be funded through the county. And that's largely been the case for other guaranteed income programs. We saw that in Stockton relying on, on private investment. Um, I should mention, though, that in San Francisco, uh, there's an effort to use public money towards a future guaranteed income program when Mayor London Breed pulled $120 million from the police budget uh, last year, she announced that a kind of a $7 million piece of that will go towards a future guaranteed income program. You mentioned San Francisco. Los Angeles is also considering a guaranteed income program. I mentioned Compton's in the billboard. That's 300 to 600 a month for 800 residents over two years. I want to bring Natalie Foster into the conversation. Natalie Foster is co-founder and co-chair of the Economic Security Project, which was a funder of the Stockton Guaranteed Income Experiment also a senior fellow at the Aspen Institute Future of Work Initiative. Natalie Foster, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Natalie, as I'm listening to Guy's descriptions of these two programs, they're guaranteed income programs, which sounds different from universal basic income, because as I understand it, universal basic income is really for anybody. It's not targeted specifically at people with certain incomes. That's right. The big idea here is the guarantee that no matter what happens, there is income for families who are struggling, 
no matter if there is a pandemic <laughs> like the one we are living in or wildfires rip through uh, you know, a state or, or a state freezes over. In the case of Texas, we live in the age of pandemics and that no matter what happens, there's income that families can support up. Can, can the, supports families. And from that, there's a lot of policy choices you could make. Who gets it? How much? How often? Uh, but the big idea is, is the guarantee. And it's really meant to be a supplement rather than replace the existing safety net and is a you know, critical tool um, for improving equity. And so people have been using UBI, universal basic income and guaranteed income interchangeably. I've seen that in articles and so on. Is that basically then a mistake? Is UBI a misnomer for these programs? Yeah, I think it's it's one of the ways to, to talk about it. But I, a lot of the um, demonstrations now are targeting families who need help the most. They're saying this is a crisis family that we are in. Families can't put food on the table. They can't pay rent. Let's uh, move monies to families who need it the most and uh, start there. Uh, so it is means tested in that way. And so are, you know, the stimulus checks and, and uh, even the expansion of the child tax credit. Uh, so it's not truly universal, um, but it is is guaranteed. So then where do you fall? Do you support universal basic income? You know, we at Economic Security Project uh, uh, are more interested in moving money to families who need it um, right now. And uh, and that's where, you know, I think that the opportunity is. Um, I would support a universal program if we also have, you know, progressive taxation built in so that the rich aren't getting richer. Uh, but that's not where the current conversation is. And, and so we're um, supportive of, of uh, these demonstrations and how they're rolling out to families who need it the most. So then, Guy, let's talk a little bit more about the current conversations with regard to the programs that you were reporting on yesterday. What is the long-term plan for this? You're saying that, for example, Oakland's program is 18 months. What ha happens after 18 months if the pilot's successful? Right. I think it's important to think about this as a pilot and an experiment, right? I think the goal really is to demonstrate the effectiveness of this direct aid, not necessarily create a whole new ongoing program. In the words of Oakland Councilman Lauren Taylor, he said yesterday, you know, if someone is tethered to a life of poverty, you can't untether them by just tying them down with more strings. So I think the goal is to show and to demonstrate that direct aid without strings attached is an effective way of lifting folks uh, out of poverty. And I should say that it's we're seeing this kind of at a larger scale uh, in President Biden's rescue plan, right? There is uh, this effort to send people direct checks, uh, child tax credits hmm. directly impacting uh, parents, uh, uh, kind of a larger move away from, you know, aid with different restrictions on how to spend it, what you have to do to qualify to spend it. So I think, you know, to your question, yes, th these are pilot programs. And you, I think we have to point out the scale of this, right? Oakland, says it's going to be one of the largest uh, guaranteed income programs in the country. But at the end of the day, we're still talking about 600 residents, right? The city has nearly 70,000 residents who are living in poverty. This is helping a few hundred families. So I do think even the folks who are supporting this say it's this is really a, a, a trial and experiment that they hope will eventually spur long-term policy changes. Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Thanks so much for the update. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
Natalie Foster, these programs come on the heels of a study that said Stockton's UBI program. I think they framed it as UBI at that point, though ultimately it really was more targeted. Um, that that experiment has basically been a success, at least the first year that's been studied of it through February of 2020. Can you remind us what Stockton's program was? Absolutely. So for uh, 18 months, and then it was extended due to the pandemic, uh, 125 families in Stockton received $500 a month with no strings attached. And uh, independent researchers uh, looked at uh, those in the control group, those who received the money, and found a couple of things. One is that recipients were less anxious and depressed overall, uh, both over time and compared to the control group. People felt like they had room to breathe. They also found uh, that the treatment group, those who received the money, went from part-time to full-time employment at more than twice the rate of those who didn't. So those who received the money found more work overall, uh, and they just had a greater ability to pay for unexpected expenses. Mm. Um, and they were able to make payments on their debt uh, and, and were able to have more time. I, I think of one uh, recipient named Tomas who talked about being able to quit his third gig with the $500 coming in each month, which gave him Saturday mornings to spend with his family for the first time in a long time. And uh, one day he was at the pool with his kids and realized they knew how to swim, which was something he hadn't realized because he'd not had a leisurely Saturday morning with his kids in so long. So it's, it's both what showed up on the ledger, you know, people spent money on food and basics and utilities, and then what didn't show up on the ledger, the decrease of stress and the time uh, that people had. It's so interesting you say that because I remember former Mayor Michael Tubbs saying that people were able to show up as parents, as partners, and as neighbors because they had more time. I think the results underscore sort of how consequential missed opportunities can be and the, and the opportunities that can come with time. I want to dig more into this after the break. We're talking with Natalie Foster about guaranteed income programs. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Do you support them? Do you agree with them? What are your thoughts? If you're opposed, tell us why. Give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. 
we're talking about guaranteed income programs on the heels of announcements that Oakland and Marin are the latest California jurisdictions to launch pilot programs. I'm talking with Natalie Foster, co-founder and co-chair of the Economic Security Project, which was a funder of the Stockton Guaranteed Income Experiment. Natalie Foster is also a senior fellow at the Aspen Institute Future of Work Initiative. You, our listeners, are also with us weighing in on guaranteed income programs. The number 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Natalie Foster, just before the break, that point I was making about time, the other thing that I was struck by were some of the results showing that people were able to use that money to give them the time to actually fill out a job application or think about their future, make an interview, and so on and so forth, because they were able to pay for whatever contingencies needed to be put in place to be able to allow them to pursue that greater employment opportunity. I have to say, though, uh, in hearing about this program, we did get an email from Magna Mok. Mogstad, professor of economics at the University of Chicago, and I wanted to put a couple of his points to you. One was, there is a big difference, he writes, between a permanent and a temporary income transfer. You wouldn't expect many of the behavioral responses, for example, in the labor market to show up if it's temporary. Also, the spending and savings responses to temporary and permanent income changes are widely different. So what exactly are we supposed to learn from this study? Sure. I, I think that um, there's a lot we can learn from the study, and there's a lot we can learn as well from the natural experiment in Alaska, where for the past 40 years, uh, you know, Alaskans have received a dividend uh, each year with no strings attached. It goes to every man, woman, and child in the state. And, you know, the, the research shows there's no impact on uh, the labor market. You know, people spend the money on basics. Uh, and, and, and we see that um, well-being went up. Hospital visits went down. Birth weights went up after people started receiving the dividend. There's, there's, there's actually a number of studies uh, that look at how people are um, healthier after they receive, you know, when they have economic security and that they continue to work, right? The economy isn't working. People are. Uh, and I would also say that, you know, we, we just, we will, we will know a lot more as well uh, in the coming years as we um, play out what just passed in the American Rescue Plan, uh, because it really is uh, nothing short of, of revolutionary. Uh, the child tax credit expansion is significant. It mm. will mean that there's monthly income for families uh, who make roughly under $150,000 uh, all the way down for each child coming in each month with no strings attached to help parents raise their children, to put food on the table, to put healthy food on the table, to be able to spend a bit more time with them. So it's not just being demonstrated, you know, in cities where I, I think that uh, we're seeing so much of this start. It's also now happening at the national level due to the crisis uh, that we're in. Hmm. Well, this listener tweets, I'd like an adequate guaranteed income scheme, and we're almost at a technological level such that we can afford it. I worry, though, that it'd be used to destroy all our federal safety net assistance and then, dec and then decrease into inadequacy. This listener's point is something that I have seen quite a bit in terms of concerns about uh, a guaranteed income. Basically, how would we pay for that? And would it require doing away with some existing safety net programs? 
No, a guaranteed income is this generation's extension of the social safety net, right? Following in the path of things like social security and the weekend, uh, it is meant to build out um, the support and the economic resiliency uh, that families would have in this country. And I certainly wouldn't support anything that leaves families worse off. And we're seeing, in fact, that play out, right? That the expansion of the child tax credit is taking an existing tax credit and making it more generous, supporting more families with it, including families with the lowest end of, of the income um, spectrum. Just to say those families were left out of the tax credit uh, for the last several decades. It was it was quite stingy. And, and we're seeing it shift to being um, one that is, is more supportive and generous. And that's the direction that I want to see this go in. And that wouldn't be prohibitively expensive, for example. Where would you be able to find that money if, if this would be something that would complement existing safety net programs? The danger now is going too small not too big. And that is not just me saying it. It's the Fed, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, Jay Powell, saying we have to go bigger right now. The concern is not the cost. The concern is the fact that uh, you know, American families are struggling um, in, 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 in a crisis that is the most unequal pandemic, you know, the most unequal recession in modern history. And that if we don't go big, we can't support them. And that's what I think you're seeing with the Biden administration and in D.C. And that's what you're seeing the mayor, the mayors echoing across the country, right? Um, mayor Schaff uh, is part of Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, which uh, Mayor Michael Tubbs out of Stockton started. And there's now 40 plus mayors who've signed on, you know, big city mayors like Mayor Schaff and uh, Mayor Garcetti out of LA, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, as well as small towns uh, like Wausau, Wisconsin, uh, Shreveport, who are saying, one, we want a federal guaranteed income for people living in our city who can't make ends meet. And two, some of us are going to demonstrate what, you know, this looks like uh, in our cities. Well, Richard writes, great idea to have Oakland starting this with private money. If the federal government wants to provide this, it would be very wise. But if local governments provide the money, it is absurd. Low income is a national problem. I mean, ultimately, the feds would have to step in in a big way. You're saying they're kind of doing that with an experiment right now in some ways when you look at the stimulus payments and so on. But I guess I'm wondering, what are the biggest challenges to scaling up a program like this? As Guy pointed out, we've got 600 in Oakland, 800 in Compton, 125 in Marin right? Yeah, these are the demonstrations I would think of as sort of R&D for, for policy. Um, you know, what does it look like? And, and wh what do we find? And, and it's they center the families who will be most impacted um, by uh, these ideas. Uh, but they but philanthropy can't do this themselves. You know, philanthropy can't get us out of uh, an economy that, that doesn't work for so many families. It has to happen um, at, at the, the policy level. And really, it has to happen uh, in D.C. A federal guaranteed income is, is the only 
um, real way to do it. There's, there's a lot of state can do. And I think, um, you know, we're certainly seeing Gavin Newsom pushing uh, on that by expanding the earned income tax credit in a meaningful way here in California, as well as the Golden State Stimulus, right, $600 uh, for struggling families, including the undocumented, um, who to, 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 to put food on the table in the midst of this crisis. So governors are um, starting to move in this direction, but it has to happen at the federal level. It's really the only way to um, scale this. Let me turn to some calls. Jenna in Oakland. Hi, Jenna. Hi. Hi, um, go my right question ahead. Is, mm-hmm. My question is, is that I know that any kind of income can affect other assistance that um, folks are already getting, like WIC or food assistance or monthly assistance. And so this this does not affect the, that hmm. amount that they're getting. This is in addition to. That's my question. Thank hmm. you. Jenna, such a great question, because I know, Natalie Foster, that for Stockton's program, that you did have to negotiate and talk with state programs, right, and federal programs. Yeah, so this is called the benefits cliff. And I think a lot of people who are not on public assistance don't realize this happens. So you receive a bit of income, let's say, to buy food. And if you get a, you know, get more hours at work or you get, you know, above a certain income, you lose that benefit. You lose your housing voucher. This is the the punitive nature of our existing system. And so the demonstrations, um, frankly, they there are there are a number of ways to um, handle it. Uh, in Stockton, yes, uh, people were not left worse off. Uh, they got waivers and that sort of thing. There's a demonstration in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, run by Aisha Yandaro. It's called the Magnolia Mothers Trust, and she gives a thousand dollars a month to black mothers in Jackson. And she very distinctly doesn't, uh, there is no waiver, part, p- partly it's the state of Mississippi, it's very different. Um, but but on average, I think the mothers receive around $650 of that $1,000 to make the point that the benefits cliff is so uh, difficult for families to ever uh, get ahead. So ultimately, it has to uh, support, you know, the system and leave people better off. And the, the good thing about tax credits, right? So if you think about the child tax credit at the federal level, uh, is that it doesn't impact people's income. It won't count as income and therefore adversely impact, you know, their other benefits. The same as the earned income tax credit. Uh, people aren't taxed on it and, and their, you know, their housing vouchers and other things stay the same. It seems, though, Natalie Foster, that there are people who support this because they do see it as a possible replacement for the social safety net, and then people who support it because they see it as a supplement so that people don't have what you're talking about, the situation where they're part of these punitive programs and they get a little extra money and they're, they're dropped off of them. So how are you going to create the support necessary for federal you know, the federal government to step in and so on? How do you, how do you bridge those two different views? Well, I think that you, um, you know, look at families and what do families need. And um, right now, you know, people are working two, three jobs to put food on the table um, and, and, and they need support and, you know, they need resilience, right. For this, for this moment we live in. And so I think what we're seeing, you know, at the federal level right now is indeed a recognition that People are working, but the economy is not. And and saying that we need to move away from 
a stingy era of, of welfare politics to uh, a different era where we support families with no strings attached. And that's where I think the movement is happening at the federal level and at the state level. Let me go to caller Matt in Half Moon Bay. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Are you there? Matt, I think I hear you there, but if, if you can't hear me, Matt, trying one last time. Okay, we'll see if we can get Matt on the line in a second. Meantime, Carol writes, I support this plan. However, the argument against it is that if the government safety net was sufficient, this universal income would not be necessary. Also, in the case of these pilot programs, how do you select the families to participate as there are obviously many more people who meet the poverty threshold? Um, so her first question, can you say the first question again? Is that if the government safety net was sufficient, this universal income would not be necessary. Right. So are we really taking, sorry, go ahead. I'll let you. Well, in. I would just say, I think, you know, this is part of the safety net. I, I, we are in a moment where we have to rewrite the social contract for the 21st century. Uh, we have to update what people deserve, how people work. And part of that needs to be uh, an income floor for everyone uh, so that we can all collectively weather this pandemic and future pandemics. So I see it as part of our, our safety net moving forward. Well, Chris writes, did the people in Stockton who are receiving the free monthly income have jobs? For people who are working, doesn't it make more sense to increase their monthly wage so their take-home pay increases by $500 rather than give them money raised from taxes? Low wages are one of the foremost manifestations of the failure of capitalism in our country to distribute wealth to all of the people. I again, why would why is guaranteed income the solution as opposed to, say, what Chris is talking about? I actually totally agree with Chris. We have to increase minimum wage and, uh, you know, very big supporter of the fight for 15, a big supporter of talking about $15 in many American cities is not enough and we need to even go further and was disappointed to see uh, Congress not pass a $15 uh, minimum wage in this last bill. And I'm hopeful that that will be the law of the land soon, like it is here in California and a whole bunch of other states that have already raised the minimum wage. Um, and so that is in part why we started Economic Security Project was to say yes to minimum wage. That is happening. That movement is off and running and we're very close. And let's also talk about income supports uh, that sit alongside wages that are guaranteed, right? Because when you lose hours uh, at your minimum wage jobs, there's the, the, your paycheck goes down. And that is just a fact of life for low wage workers, a really horrifying fact of life that means you're stressed because you don't know how you're going to put food on the table and you don't know how you're going to pay rent. And an income guarantee says, let's make sure that you know you can count on this money coming in each month in addition to your wages. Well, Gina writes, I support UBI, but to adequately address poverty, we need to raise the minimum wage and increase the supply of housing. Let me go to Maggie in Ventura. Hi, Maggie. Hi. Hi. Um, so I was just calling. It's something that um, is really passionate. I'm really passionate about. Um, I went from someone who was kind of like a little bit more comfortable financially um, to really struggling due to like some health issues and stuff. Um, and I just really think that people who live comfortably right now have no idea how desperate the struggle is mm. for people who don't make um, like sufficient money. 
And they don't understand how much it would make a difference in people who are struggling right now, not just emotionally and physically, but like you Mm -hmm. said, hanging out with your kids and stuff. Um, And I think people who aren't struggling right now don't understand the cost of things and the um, like the proportion of money that goes to expenses versus what's left over at the end of the month. You know, we go down to zero every month and just hope that nothing comes up. And the stress of that is devastating. Well, Maggie, thanks for for sharing your story. And when I think about what Maggie's going through and talking about what people have been going through through the pandemic, Natalie Foster, what role has the pandemic played in broader interest and support for the idea of a guaranteed income? Because we've seen the numbers go up pretty significantly in terms of support, national polling. We really have. We really have. And I agree. Thank you, Maggie, for sharing that. And that is exactly what we hear from cities uh, across the country, from families across the country. And that's what these mayors are hearing. Uh, and it's why they're so passionate about the demonstrations, you know, that they are launching. Uh, it is a very popular idea. 77% of um, Republicans, Democrats, and independents support the idea of um, checks. And, you know, when we started uh, a year ago, uh, uh, when, when the pandemic hit, there were no bills in Congress that would have approximated a guaranteed income, right? There were no monthly checks, bills. There are now 13 bills and counting uh, that that would give uh, families money each month, including bills written by our now Vice President, uh, then Senator Kamala Harris, who teamed up with Bernie Sanders and Ed Markey in the Senate to write a bill right after the pandemic hit, Uh, arguing for $2,000 a month for families who are struggling. Uh, And there are a number of of, of bills like this. So it has gone from an idea to actual policy in a very fast pace. And I think it's because it's an idea whose time had come. And there were a whole lot of people doing work, (laughs) uh, many of them in California, that set the stage for this national shift. Well, Michelle writes, wouldn't guaranteed free national health care like in Canada be more important as a first step than basic income? It would relieve anxiety about crushing medical bills. Wouldn't this accomplish some of the goals? Maybe research is needed to compare the two. While there is a lot of support, it sounds like one of the one of the arguments um, or areas of focus is really making the argument that this is the right way to put your focus and energy and resources as opposed to some of the other ways that people have tried to in the past. Natalie Foster, do you see that as a challenge for the movement? And we just have 20 seconds. Yeah, we need it all. We do not have to choose between things that help families. We can have universal health care. We can have a, a, a housing guarantee in America and we can have an income guarantee. We are the richest nation on earth at the richest moment in history. And if we decide to invest in our families, we can all have nice things. <laughs> Natalie Foster, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Natalie Foster, the Economic Security Project and Aspen Institute Future of Work Initiative. Thanks, Ariana Prell, for producing this segment. We've got one now on water supply. So stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.